Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. And every month I look forward to Jim Wallace joining the program. And I uh, frankly think it's uh, one of the best hours of the month. And I enjoy it uh, so much. And I I know you do too because I hear from you. Uh, He is a um, uh, Dateline featured cold case homicide detective. You know him as a very popular speaker and best-selling author. And Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, I would love to join you. Happy so. New Year. Yeah. Happy yeah. New Year to you, too. So we're going to talk about truth today. So let's start with some truth-telling. Do you have any ice cream in your freezer right now? Uh, you know what? I do. I got some <laughs> yesterday. And that's very rare for us because I'm trying not to... Because it doesn't last long here. <laughs> if I have that in there, I'll eat the whole thing on yeah. one night. So... So I have to not even get it, and but uh, but Susie brought some home yesterday, and, and she told me about it yesterday, and I didn't touch it until today. So to, <laughs> tonight after dinner, I'll be eating ice cream. So there you go. You are a truth teller, which I love. That's right. You yeah, know, does, as, as, we, careful. as we talk about even defining truth, you know, maybe it's uh, good to talk about what truth isn't. You know, uh, truth is not what the majority says is true. Yeah, this is, I think, such a foundational question. And then we, we use these words and we talk right past each other because if we say something is true, if we don't have a, you know, we, we think we know what we mean by that word. We think we know what the other means by that word. But if we don't stop and say, well, okay, well, hold on now, what do you mean by true? Mm-hmm. Um, then that's something that for the most part, I, I mean, I think that if you've got like kids where you're raising teenagers, you may have had these kinds of discussions, but, but, but for the most part, when I go around the country and talk about the nature of truth, how it's defined, um, the kinds of the ways that, that the Academy has defined truth, what I find is that most, um, it's eye opening for most of my audiences because they really haven't thought clearly about the biggest distinction, which is between subjective truth claims and objective truth claims. I still see people, for example, use the term absolute truth, mm-hmm. but that to me is a bit fuzzy. I mean, I think it's easier to define the terms in terms of objective and subjective. So, so here's how I typically will offer it. Like we talk about ice cream. Okay. So like if I said, okay, the best dessert is um, chocolate ice cream from Trader Joe's, which is what I happen to have in my refrigerator right now, my freezer. Um, well, that's that's a claim that I make as a matter of personal taste and opinion. Mm-hmm. I make this uh, the claim as a subject because I might ask you, what's the best dessert? And you might have a different view of what the best dessert is. Even if I say, what's the best ice cream? You might have a different version of what the best ice cream is. And each of us makes that claim as a subject who holds that claim to be true. And that's why we call those kinds of claims that are grounded in the personal opinions of subjects. We call those subjective truth claims. That's a very that's a very natural. I mean, all of us hold some subjective opinions, so it's not unusual to hear people talk about truth as my truth, your truth, mm-hmm. their truth. They asso- in other words, they associate truth as grounded either in an individual or in a group of individuals, a subject or a group of subjects, either way, it would make it subjectively true. Even if a culture, uh, a group of subjects, 
is what is grounding the truth claim. It's still now it's still a different way. If I said to you, for example, that I'm going to uh, need a cure for tuberculosis, well, there's only one cure that we're using right now. It's a three uh, antibiotic cocktail that's grounded in a, an antibiotic called isoniazid. Now, isoniazid is the cure for TB. Whether I like it or not, whether I believe it to be the cure or not, uh, I might have a different opinion. I might think, you know what, in my opinion, I think that uh, NyQuil does a better job mm-hmm. uh, because I like the way it makes me feel. And it's inexpensive, and I, can, I like the cherry flavor, whatever it may be. <laughs> yeah. but, but my subjective now claim that NyQuil is the cure for TB will not make NyQuil the cure for TB because I, as the subject, don't ground the claim. The claim now is grounded in the object known as isoniazid. And, and that's why... Those kinds of claims about the objective, they're called objective truth claims, claims that are not grounded in subjects or opinions, but are grounded instead in the object. So if I said to you, and by the way, those kinds of claims can be verified because you can, you can simply see if that is the cure or not. Uh, in a way that you really can't verify subjective opinions. I mean, it's like you, I get to decide those things. So if I said to you, my car is white, you could go out on the driveway and see if that is true. You could verify or uh, you know negate whether or not that's because it's grounded in the object, the white car. If I said to you, though, my, white is the best color for cars, well, that's a subjective claim because that's a matter of, well, what do I even mean by best? I mean, best in terms of look, looking clean, staying clean, staying cool. What, what, uh, how am I grounding that idea? So, so that's the, the difference that's happening right now in cultures. Well, we're seeing... And I saw this, for example, on a short clip about, what, four years ago at the Golden Globe Awards when, when um, there was an award given and they talked about the Me Too movement. And it was Oprah Winfrey who said that it was important for everyone to share their truth, especially these women who have been abused. Now, my question is, what is she, is she saying? Look, look, you know, it turns out if, if the abuse of women in that way is a matter of subjective truth. It's just their truth. Well, you know, there's another group that had more power, the producers and people who could leverage that power in, in Hollywood, who had their own view of that behavior. And they didn't think it was wrong. And they outnumber probably the people who are trying to get the roles, and they have more power, more money, and they have the thing that the actresses wanted. So what, what makes one group's opinion more? No, it turns out that there is a truth, an objective truth about that behavior it's not a matter of personal opinion or even a group think. It's, it's, it's either objectively wrong or objectively right. And we're just trying to uncover which of those two it is. Because if it's just a matter of subjective opinion, whoever's in power should just tell the other group to shut up. As a matter of fact, <laughs> if objective claims are made true by the larger group, you know, it's a might makes right, well, then anyone in the minority group would be, by definition, immoral because they're making a claim against what the the majority believes is moral. And so how do you get any kind of moral reform? Because almost all moral reform starts with a small group of people within the group that says, hey, that's not right behavior. Even if you people outnumber us, you ought to rethink this. Well, why? We're pointing to something that's outside the group, that's objectively true. And that's why we have to help people to see the difference between these two things. Otherwise, we're going to continue to... And by the way, these kinds of claims are objectively true. There are claims about objects, 
like, like, like the car. There are claims about concepts like math facts. They're objectively true or not. They're not subjectively true. If that was the case, we'd all get 100% on every math test we'd ever take, right? Because we would just tell the teacher, hey, in my view, that's 100% <laughs> paper. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. But even moral claims, like, the, for example, the Me Too movement. When, when someone says, hey, tell your truth, well, the other side could just say, well, fine, I'll tell you my truth, and I happen to have the power. So, no, it turns out there is something that's objectively true, even yes. on moral claims, that's outside of the opinions of groups. And this is why this is so important. Nobody cares about our opinions, but we do care about whether or not isoniazid is the cure for tuberculosis. Objective claims are the kinds of things we ought to be talking about. And by the way, the claim God exists, and I'm not saying it's true or false. That's another, another issue altogether. You can make an objectively false claim. But the claim that God exists is not a claim that I can make true by my personal opinion or keep from being true by just changing my personal opinion. That is a claim, either true or false, that is an objective claim about reality. And that's why we have to take time to help people address the objective claims. They're the most important claims. And God exists is one of those objective claims. Mm -hmm. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. And Jim, truth is not simply what is believed because if you believe a lie it's still a lie absolutely and and this is why why i i I try to avoid um uh, language like belief or believe like i won't say well i believe this is true yes because this is either true or it's not true and now like you can have a belief and be wrong and you can be very sincere and be sincerely wrong. So, so I think that the, the claim really needs – that's why I try to avoid and try to tighten up my language when I'm making truth claims because I want people to see that there are steps, right? I mean this definition of, of truth has, has steps in it. I mean you can have a belief, but it can be wrong. And so what we're really looking for are not just beliefs. We're looking for beliefs, number one, that are true, number two – and can be established evidentially. They're, they're properly justified based on the evidence. So, so when we talk about truth, we're really talking about beliefs, true beliefs that are properly justified. And, and that's what we're looking at, like the, the, the belief that God exists, the claim that God exists, I should say. Mm-hmm. That claim, is that a true, properly justified belief? If I hold this as true, am I holding it because it's true and it's justified? is properly justified. That's why I think the idea of being able to make a case for God's existence from evidence is important. And look, this is such an important issue because I I think we've so deeply slid away from this and how we're teaching. I mean, look, we even know we talk about this with gender identity. Like, what do we mean by something is true? We're going to have to be really uh, more more, uh, succinct and more uh, and clearer about what our definitions are. And, then, and help people to see that if we took the same view of truth and applied it to other things, the world gets very slippery really quickly and, and gets very dangerous. You know, if I, if I say it's true that there's a train coming down the tracks, do I mean that as a matter of personal opinion? So that you're, you're equal? Because, by the way, if everything's a matter of personal opinion, I cannot uh, really argue with the person who holds a different opinion. Am I saying he's less, less, less a person? I mean, he's less valuable as a person. Mm-hmm. This is why some claims have to be are, are not grounded in subjects. We have to help people see they're grounded in the object called the train and the tracks that it's running on. And your opinion is not going to change whether that train's coming or not. And there are a lot of facts about life that are like that train. Yeah. 
So true. All right, this is a, a very interesting topic. I'm going to take a break and take a sip of brain juice because it is a lot to process. Jay Warner Wallace is my guest, and you can go to coldcasechristianity.com to learn more about Jim. Coldcasechristianity.com. We're going to come back and continue our discussion about truth. If you have a question or comment, you can always send it over, 877-933-2484. Okay, here's something exciting. When you sponsor a child with the Ministry One Child, you are linked with a boy or a girl who will know you by name, and treasure the thought that you care. Most of them will pray for you daily, and if you write them, they'll write you too. The child you sponsor will receive not only educational assistance, but supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for personal love and encouragement, and most of all, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The cost is just $39 a month. That's just a little more than a dollar a day. You can't necessarily change the entire world, but what if you can change the world for one person? Sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, Jay Warner Wallace is my guest. Learn more about Jim at coldcasechristianity.com. We're talking about truth today. And I, I'm still, I still like kicking the tires on what truth is not, because that's kind of fun as we talk about what truth is. Um, truth, uh, Jim, is not what makes people feel good. No, as a matter of fact, most, I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, if you're a parent, you kind of know this, right? If you're a parent, you know there's there's love and there's tough love. Yeah. And sometimes tough love feels terrible to your kids. Um, and then they find themselves doing the exact same thing when they have kids because they understand this value. That some things are, you know, life is, is hard. Um, you know, when you go to the academy as a police officer, you're, they're, they're going to give you the worst. They're going to beat you up. They're going to fight you all the time. They're going to scream at you constantly. Because what they're trying to do is just prepare you for what you're going to encounter in the streets. And as, as a parent, we kind of do a little bit of that too, right? I mean, we have to be careful not to just helicopter all of our kids and allow them to take appropriate risks that we think they can navigate so they can learn what it is to overcome obstacles, right? Because mm-hmm. th- this is just – and I think as we move away from that, um, it, I, can, you can see there's kind of a symbiotic relationship between moving away from objective truth claims and overprotecting our kids mm-hmm. because sometimes truth claims – are, are brutal. They just are. Um, certain things work as cures for certain diseases. Some things don't. There is no like talking about it. It's just yes or no. Um, and this is, a, this is true for a lot of important claims. And if you're the kind of person who can't say no to your kids, it's harder to say that. It's hard. So I can see that, that as one, as we kind of let go of of, of truth, and then we let our kids, you know, that now we're, we're more easily triggered, we're more easily upset, we, we um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we used to kind of roll off, you know, it used to be sticks and stones, so we'll break your bones, but mm-hmm. things can never hurt you. Well, now it's not just that, that words are violence, it's that the lack, silence is even violence. I mean, we're at the point now where, and I think this is, this is connected to our movement away from 
the nature of truth and how we discover truth and how we define it. Mm. Jim, uh, truth is also not what we uh, want to believe. I remember, and maybe I even brought this up with you once, there was a, a, a college athlete, pretty successful college athlete, and he ended up uh, robbing a convenience store. And of course, I think when reality sunk in as to what he did, he's going to lose everything for a significant period of time. And he yeah. went on the news and he said, or his mom said, that's not who he is. And the kid said, that's not who I am. And I go, well, that's the truth you want to believe, but that's not the truth. The truth is you, you did you did rob a convenience store. Yeah, and in some ways, you know, he's what he's saying has to be like like everything. You know, everything's about definitions, and and the law is about definitions and how we define things. And this is also true when people make statements. It's not who I am. But what he means is it's not the idealized version of me <laughs> that I have in my head, right? Right. That's who I am. But of course, you know, the reality of it is this is this is you know, how do we define is it? Is is your notion of who you are? who you are or is the way you behave in the world who you are. And so I think all of us ought to have an idealized version of who we are. So we have something to strive for. Sure. But in reality, you, you have to judge people from their behaviors. And, and so in the end, how you behave, how you spend your money, what you, what you, those are the things that you love, you worship, and who you really are. Yeah. And truth is always going to correspond to reality. Oh, ab- absolutely. This is, and this is one of the reasons why we have to help. Look, there's lots of definitions that uh, academics, that, that professors, that the academy uh, tries to offer for truth. And I see them all the time. And some, I mean, I, I don't want to say that every definition is, is, look, the reason why there are so many definitions is because in some limited sense, some of these definitions actually work. So like utilitarianism, right? Like the, the, the truth is what works. Mm-hmm. This idea that if something, how do we know, for example, isoni as it works? We may not even understand, or at least initially, have understood the biochemistry, but we just knew we tried a bunch of other cures. They don't work. This one does. So we've got the cure. So how do we know it's the cure? Because it works. So you can see how there might be some limited way in which um, that approach could, um, you, could just, you could discover truth with that approach. Mm-hmm. Of course, the problem is it's got limits. I mean, there are some things that work that just aren't true. You know, I, I talk, it happens all the time. Whenever I'm combing my hair, my wife tells me a lie that works every day. She <laughs> says, you're not losing you know, as much hair as you had when you were in high school, which isn't true, but it sure works. Mm-hmm. And so there are, and we've all done that. We've yeah. all told some convenient lie uh, that, that actually is, it, it works. It's, it's utilitarian, but it doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. So there are just, you've got to figure out like what definitions is, you know, even the idea that, that truth can only be determined by the natural sciences or by a scientific process of discovery. Even that claim, and this is really where we're headed up in the culture, right? We've been headed there for a long time, especially in the years after the COVID when we were you know, fighting about vaccines and all this other stuff. You know, if, it, if a scientist doesn't say it, it's not true. If, a science, if science can't discover it, it's, it's not true. But the problem is that the initial claim that, that, that the only truth you can trust is the truth is discovered with science, that claim cannot be discovered with science. It turns out that's a philosophical position that mm. precedes any scientific discovery. So you're, if someone says, well, I can only trust the things I can discover with the scientific method, well, I can think of one thing you trust without the benefit of the scientific method, the idea that you can only trust things with the scientific method, because that's a <laughs> philosophical position you mm-hmm. hold. So again, we're looking for the, the, the definition of truth 
that will actually um, work in every situation. And this is why the idea that the truth simply corresponds, this correspondence theory of truth, is the best definition of truth we have. It's the idea that the truth is a relationship between what you believe to be true and what actually is true. So if I said, hey, I believe there's a, a car in my driveway, and then I go out there and I discover there is a car in my driveway, well, now the claim there's a car in my driveway is true because my claim corresponds to the reality. And, and so I think in the end, that is what we're trying to figure out what corresponds to reality. Mm-hmm. And this is why when we say, hey, um, that Christianity is true. Well, do you, does, does that claim correspond to reality? I mean, and how would you determine if it's true? Because we had a personal experience? This is where I think we, as Christians, have to be careful. Because a lot of the reason, if you ask people why they're Christians, almost all of it's experiential. Um, you'll see that people will, are. They, it's not that there is historical data that we could uh, examine and confirm whether or not the stuff that's reported in the Gospels actually occurred in the first century. No, instead, it's that I prayed for something, and I received it, and that, for me, was enough evidence that, that this is true. I, I don't know if you noticed that, um, that the football player, DeMar, uh, who was injured from the Bills, uh, what, a week ago, Monday, on the Monday night football game with the Bills versus the Bengals, mm-hmm. that the very next week, the Buffalo Bills played, and they had a return for a touchdown. The very next, they were playing the Patriots, and they wow. had a return for a touchdown the very first play of the game. Afterwards, they uh, interviewed the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, and he said he watched that return for a touchdown, and he just told his, his teammates, he said, hey, God is real. Because because look what just happened. Oh. And he said, you realize, and DeMar's number was three. That was his number on his jersey. He said, you realize we haven't had a return for a touchdown in three years and three months. Now, now I want you to stop for a second. And he broke into tears at a press conference talking about this. So what he considered to be evidence for the claim Christianity is true or the claim God exists was not the evidence from the world around us that might point to God's existence. It's not the evidence of, of history that could be confirmed in the New Testament. It was that somebody ran a touchback, touchdown, a, a, a kickoff back for a touchdown and had done it on the third month of the third year. Now, this is my point, is that we have to be really, we, we can do better than this. Um, because it turns out there's, a, there's we said it's justified true belief, right? That's what truth is, justified true belief. Well, if we're going to justify it by the fact we had some experience that we're interpreting personally to mean that God exists. I mean, is that touchback, does that touchdown really mean that God exists? Mm. Is that what we're going to use as our evidence? Yeah. But this is so common with us in the church because we, we, we don't really think about faith forensically. We think about it as this blind, uh, untested. You even have truer faith if it seems, if, the more irrational it seems, the truer your faith is. That's the, the position of a lot of people. But it turns out that that doesn't help us when we're talking about truth in the culture. We can mm. do better. Yeah. All right, we're coming up against a break, so we only have a minute here, uh, Jim. But right now, when we come back from the break, I, w- I really want to talk about the way in the world today, it seems that there's truth claims that are all treated as equally valid. And, of course, that's nuts, right? So Yeah, that's you know, right. Yeah, there's an exclusive nature, right? So I think that's worth talking about, because for sure. Because, again, what we're doing is we're trying to lay the foundation for other conversations that have to be built on. If you're saying something is true, we have to start first with defining what truth is. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't, isn't it the, the law of non-contradiction? I mean, you can't, you, you can't be A 
and non-A at the same time, right? But this is why so many people will say, hey, there's a lot of ways to God. Right. And, and, and there's those that even a lot of Christians now have taken a more universalistic approach to, about sal- to, to salvation. So we have to, this is an important issue that's worth uh, talking about. Mm-hmm. We'll take a break. And when we come back, lots more with Jay Warner Wallace. Go to Cold Case Christianity. He's got great blogs and videos and books you can learn about. His, uh, his resources are wonderful. I go there regularly. ColdCaseChristianity.com. We'll be right back. Welcome to the show. Jim Wallace is my guest. We're talking about truth today. We've been chatting a little bit about what truth is not, and now we're going to talk a little bit about a, a really a very popular worldview today is a, a pluralism, which says, come on, all truth claims are pretty much equally the same. So, of course, we all know this to be impossible. So, Jim, let's talk about this mindset, because uh, the I think the idea behind pluralism is this idea that we all need to be really tolerant of one another. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, well, first of all, we'll get to tolerance in a second, but that's true. We need to be tolerant of each other. We have to define that term as well. Exactly. Right? It's just another term that's grounded in truth. And if we have a misunderstanding about truth, we have a misunderstanding about tolerance. But I think part of the problem is, like what you said, is, is that um, when you have competing claims or a number of claims about anything, but they don't agree with each other. They make competing claims about the thing that's being discussed. So, for example, this has often been said about claims about God, um, you know, that, that, that all claims about God are somehow equally true uh, or equally valid. The problem is that the claims about God, all have, they're all contradictory. They, they contradict one another. They don't, they don't say the same thing about God. If you're Jewish, you don't believe that Jesus is God. If you're a Christian, you think Jesus is God. These are two opposite views. They can both be wrong, or one of them could be wrong, but they both can't be right because they're making opposite claims. So you could say they're both equally false, but you couldn't say they're both equally true. And this is true once you start to lay out all of the competing claims of worldviews related to theism, to God. If it's Buddhism, if it's Hinduism, whatever it may be, you'll see that the nature of God, the nature in which we are saved, the nature of the afterlife, they're all different. So they could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. And so this idea that we must kind of embrace all of these as equally true. Now, we can tolerate. Look, tolerance requires us to hold a position that's different than the person we're tolerating. You don't tolerate people you agree with. You, you agree with them. So there's no reason to... Tolerance requires, I, th- I would say, three Ds. The first thing it requires is a disagreement. Hmm. Uh, if, if you think, well, you've got to agree with me and embrace... Because what's happening in the culture is is the, the, the definition of tolerance has morphed to this idea that every claim is equally worthy, is equally meritorious. And if you cannot affirm my claim, my view on whatever it is, as equally meritorious to your own, then you're not tolerant of me. 
but but that even that idea is self-refuting, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're saying that, um, uh, my view is that all all claims are not equally good. Right. Some claims are good. Some claims are bad. Well, can you embrace my view of of of, of claims? No. Your your view says that you have to embrace every view as equally true, but my view is that not every view is equally true, and this is the one view you must reject. But your worldview doesn't allow you to reject it because then you'd be intolerant. Yeah, that's There's nuts. the problem. You yeah. can't live it. You know. Yeah. Well, Jim, you and I are on the top of a ten-story building, and you say, "Well, let's step off, and we'll we'll uh, we'll float in midair." And I say, "Well, no, that's nuts. Uh, gravity will take you to the ground." And you say. Uh, well, that's your opinion of gravity, right? I'm right. not. I'm not. I'm being intolerant. Well, and this is why we talk about objective versus subjective claims. The idea that gravity exists is an uh, is an objective claim, and it can be tested. And that's exactly what's going to happen the minute you step off the side of the building. Right? Is you're going to find out. You'll be confirmed when you hit the ground <laughs> that the gravity is a force that is real. It did work. Um, it, did, it does as ex- exactly as you said it was. And so I think this is one of the things we have to be look. If we're going to say that there are no objective claims, that claim itself is an objective claim that can't exist if there are no objective claims. If you're saying, if someone says to you, there are no objective claims, everything's a matter of opinion, just ask the question, is that objectively true? Because <laughs> right? it sounds like you're saying something's objectively true, that there are no, are no objective truths. But if there are no objective truths, that can't be objectively true. So there's two simple things we always talk about. That that claim that there are no objective truths is self-refuting, and yes. it should be quickly seen that way. The other one is, well, even if there are objective claims about reality, uh, you can never really truly know them. But even that claim, if someone says you can't know truth, even if there is truth, you could ask the question, well, do you know that to be true? Because it sounds like you know something's true, but if, there, if truth can't be known, you can't know that, that truth can't be known because you'd have to know something about truth. <laughs> and there's mm-hmm. the problem. So the reality is all of us have to deal with it. We have to kind of like navigate life knowing that there are objective truths and they can be known. The only thing that's left is learning what they are. And this is all that's left. When, when someone makes a claim and you determine that it's objective rather than subjective, the only thing left to do is to determine if it's true or false. Yes. So I could tell you that my car can take me to the moon. That's an objective claim about my car. That's not a subjective claim, but it's a false objective claim. Mm-hmm. The only thing left to do once you determine it's objective is determine if it's true or false. So when you say God exists or that Jesus is the only way to the Father, well, those aren't subjective claims. I can't make Jesus the way to the Father by changing my opinion. I can't keep him from being the only way to the Father by changing my opinion. That's a claim that's an objective claim. It might be objectively false. Or it might be objectively true. Mm-hmm. That's all that's left to determine. And that's why we have to spend time helping people to determine if it is true or false. Yeah. So I would say, would you say pluralism does a horrible job of helping us understand the difference between opinion and truth? Well, it, between opinion and objective truth. Yes. Yeah, between subjective, yes. yeah, it does. Yes. It, it, it conflates the two t- typically. Because in the end, when you have two claims, like sometimes two things can be true at the same time. So if you know this is this this car is red and this car is and it's a car. I mean you can have a red car, but 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 when you have two claims that are about the same thing and they are not they they cannot be reconciled, they make opposing truth claims. Well then you have to be able to, to figure out which of those true two is true. Uh, you know if, if if this is the problem we have 
when we when we, we we make we think that our minds can change physical realities. And this is true with gender identity or any other uh, view in the world in which you think you can make something true by simply redefining um, it or by uh, reimagining it. I mean, you, you can do this with concepts. You just can't do them with physical realities. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I, when I do, do a death scene and I've got DNA at the death scene, I can determine a couple of things from that, that blood spatter. I can determine if that blood is from a human. It might be from a dog. I can determine species, and I can also determine the sex of the species. Oh, oh, really? Now, we've, we kind of redefine that by changing terms. We'll just create a new term, gender. But if I'm looking for a biological male or female, I can, human, I can get you, I even get race from the DNA at the scene. So a lot about who you are, and I, you know, this is, these are the things that are just true about your identity, and they are physically true. We can determine them with physics, with uh, with scientific processes that involve physics, and, and and you can't change them with your mind. I can't tell you today that I'm a different race and make it so by simply saying it, by simply holding the view. I cannot make it so because it is a truth that is grounded in physicality, and your mind cannot change those things. So that's why we have to start to help people see the difference between objective and subjective. By the way, we haven't talked at all about what's moral or immoral. That's a discussion that is so far downstream from what's true. And that's why we have to kind of ground ourselves in this first discussion of what's true before we can get to the discussion about what's, what's, what's moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. And Jim, anybody who takes a stance for Christ and claims that they have an understanding of absolute truth uh, they're going to be told that they're very narrow-minded. Oh, absolutely. Okay. You said absolute truth. You just said that. To, I always say objective truth. I always try to limit myself because sometimes absolute can be interpreted as um, this is really true. You know, like this is absolutely. But, and I want them to see that I'm, I'm grounding something in, uh, in something other than just my subjective opinion. Yes. And so that's why I try to only use those two terms, subjective and objective. But yes, uh, if you want to see how unpopular objective truth claims are, just post something on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find out pretty yeah. quickly how, how uh, this is, you know, we, we really are. Uh, and, we, and I think this is one of the natures of social media. Social media loves things that are provocative. And, and so if I can conflate things that are, are really objective facts about the world, and 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 you just use opinion. Oh boy, you can really start um, provoke, you know, provoking an audience. And and any time that the goal of the the it, it used to be, we thought at least initially that when you used Facebook back in the day, that you would just be um, engaging your family, mm-hmm. interacting with your family. Well, now social media really is there to provoke your family or to provoke a response, and and we're all using it that way. And so this is why I think you see this. This is this is, of course, the the, the seedbed for having discussions about truth, where we're really just you know, lobbing opinions at each other. Yeah. So Jim, if you post something, let's say on social media, and you post an objective truth, there are going to be people that that are going to say that Jim Wallace guy, he's arrogant, and he thinks he's right, and he thinks he's better than me. Well, I mean, look, we can still, you can still, look, it's, it's, it's also possible to say something true and be a jerk. <laughs> well, that's true. So, oh, absolutely so, do that. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we often will do that. And so I, don't, I try not to do that. I mean, you're better off just kind of letting, if you're going to respond at all, I, I typically have a rule about social media. If I know you, I'm not going to respond to you on social media. I'm just going to call you. Mm-hmm. Because the more we take 
face to face, physical. We were designed by God as physical creatures meant to have interaction with other creatures face to face in physicality. And the more we step away from our physical interactions, being in person, talking to each other, where we can see each other's facial expressions, we can read each other's body language, we can hear the tone of our voice. If you reduce that to just a tweet, you are so far away from that physical interaction that that's how we get misunderstood. That's how we start uh, all kinds of problems. So the best thing, of course, is to say, well, let's meet for coffee. Mm -hmm. But if I can't meet for coffee, let's at least get on the phone. I want you to hear the tone of my voice. Right. Right. And if I can't do that, well, then we're not going to discuss it at all because those are the only – these are my rules. My rules are we have to return to a conversation that is actually the way that God intended the conversation to be. Mm-hmm. I like that. When you, you know, speak in objective truth, though, in today's you know, crazy world, there are going to be people that feel that they're being excluded, not included. Yeah, well, and this is the nature of truth. I know. Truth, I know. Truth, yeah. One, if there's if there's one cure for for um, tuberculosis, it by nature excludes all the other options. Yeah. And 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 so this is why we have to really, I I, I long for a return to. I hate to say this, but that's some to kind of some rub some dirt in it mentality, right? I mean, it, 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 that if, if everything is going to hurt our feelings, uh, and we get to the point where I can't even tell you the truth. So I just won't tell you the truth. That's what's really the worst part is that yeah. if I get to the point where I think you can't handle it, I really won't tell you. And if I don't tell you that I'm actually doing you harm, mm-hmm. but you know what, to be honest, that harm is not going to hurt me. That harm is not even going to be, I'll be accused of hurting your feelings before I'll be accused of just being, just stepping away. So I think a lot of us are just going to step away. I don't know, Bill, have you noticed? I mean, there's times when I don't even want to watch the news. I've stopped, Jim. I've stopped watching news. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I have too. Probably about a year now. <laughs> wow. A year longer than me. I, I stopped yeah, and I stopped because I realized that, that it's not going to change anything. The gospel is still going to be the gospel. Right. And I'm still going to... Now, look, you, you cannot help but see what's going on in the world because you're going to be talking to other people. But I don't need that daily um, bombardment of, of news feed that just makes me upset. So, so I think that, that, that has been for me, I have kind of, look, a lot of that too, is that I'm not 21 anymore. Right. Right. I mean, at some point I think that, that I, I don't want to use the gospel as a club because I'm angry. I want to offer the gospel as what it really is because I, I'm not, I'm not in a debate with you. And I think the more I was watching the news, the more I was inclined to debate people about the news, debate people about all this crazy stuff. I think it's better for me just to affirmatively state, you know, preach the gospel, because it turns out, like I said last time we, we talked, the gospel cures every kind of stupid. So I don't even need to know what the stupid. <laughs> Why do I is. love that line? I love that right? line I don't, too. I don't even need to know what that stupid is. I don't either. In order to offer the gospel, because I I already know yeah. that whatever kind of stupid thing we're talking about, the gospel <laughs> has a solution. So yeah. I can just offer the gospel. Yeah. Amen to that. All right, let's take a short break, Jim. When we come back, I would like to dip our toe in the water of the area of morality. Okay. And does objective truth not apply in the area of morality? Well, a lot of people say that. So we'll discuss that more with Jay Warner Wallace. Go to coldcasechristianity.com and learn more about Jim and his books, which are awesome. I have all of them in my library and his writings and his videos. Uh, it's an incredible resource center. Coldcasechristianity.com.
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. We are talking today to Jim Wallace, and you can go to coldcasechristianity.com, learn more about him. We're talking about truth, and it's been a fascinating hour. I've got a lot of nice comments, Jim, coming in from listeners who are liking this a lot, because there is a, an, a, an occasion of absolute truth where you step on a rusty nail and you go to the ER and they say, well, there's one solution, and it's called a tetanus shot. And you go, eh, I'm not interested in that. How about just giving me some Flintstone vitamins? Yeah, exactly. Just not going to help. Well, and these are areas typically where you see the rubber meets the road, mm-hmm. right? They're almost always in areas where we're now to a place where we're, if, you're, if you've got cancer and there's a chemo treatment offered, and I look at, especially if you know there's something you can do, um, you're, you're, you're going to be stepping out of personal. Now, there's lots of opinions within things that are untested. There are places we don't know answers, but when we do know an answer, that's where we have to kind of put our foot in there. If you know that, that this is the cure for TB, well, then you ha- and if you know that that, that your NyQuil is not going to cure the TB, right. well, you can't pretend like one is the same as the other. You know, even when it comes to morality, I mean, let's think about this for a second. Is, is if, 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 and this is why I use the example of the Me Too movement, because I'm trying to offer something that people will, people who would probably, when they, you see all those folks who are talking about my truth, it's important to share your truth. You see this possessive pronoun put in front of the word truth as though everyone's got their own truth. And so then my question is, well, why should I care then? Why would I care about your truth? Mm-hmm. When two people meet each other, uh, you've got your truth. Well, I've got mine. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so, and if and if these are things that are, are moral behaviors, then are you saying that everything that is moral is these people don't believe, by the way, that that what that what was done to these actresses was moral. They believe it's wrong, not just because they think it's wrong. They think it's wrong regardless of who it's done to. Well, that's the problem. If it's grounded that way, if there, if there are things that are wrong regardless of who could ever do them. And I always try to supersize it. You know, is it ever okay to torture babies for fun? No. And if someone said, well, yeah, for, over here it is for us, you'd say, well, that's, I don't care that you think it is. It's not right. right. We need to stop that. We'll, we'll actually act to stop it. But here's the question. If, if you're saying that this is what happened in Nuremberg, by the way, right? The, the people who were uh, being brought to trial after World War II, for having served in the concentration camps, said, hey, we were serving because our country promoted us for this behavior. You, just because you guys won does not mean you can now come and say well, you're going to execute us for being the prison guards. Are you kidding me? We, we actually, they, we, our culture said it was okay. They affirmed it and promoted us and paid us to do this. You just can't come in now and say it's not okay. And there was a tribunal of, of justices from three different countries. Ours was a guy named Jackson who actually became a Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. And he just basically said, hey, there's a, there's a law above the law. Otherwise, what are we going to do when, when a culture is doing something we know to be immoral, but they outnumber us? They're a bigger nation. Are we about to say that whatever China decides is morally true is morally true because they have so many people and they all believe it's morally okay? If it's grounded even in a group of subjects, you're saying that it's subjective truth. 
even if a group of subjects uh, says it's, it's okay. So we would say, you know, some things are going to be wrong, even if the larger group says it's okay to do it. Well, now you've discovered a truth about moral claims, that they aren't grounded in the views of subjects. They're grounded in, and by the way, if there is, you were trying to, how do we ground it if it's not between us and China or us and some other nation? Uh, what if there's like a, a Star Trek you know, universe and there's like Klingons and Romulans? It still wouldn't be okay to torture Klingon babies for fun. <laughs> so who's adjudicating mm-hmm. over not just the nations, but over the, the planets and the systems? Well, that, now you're starting to find yourself looking at like God as a source of moral. And by the way, moral obligations are always between persons. You know, I'm not obligated to my police car, but I'm obligated to the, the guy sitting in my police car with me and my partner. Why? Because he's a person. I can punch the car, no problem. I can't punch my partner. Moral obligations are always between persons. So if there are transcendent moral obligations, who is the transcendent moral person to whom we can get these kinds of obligations? Everything always points back to God as the one overarching transcendent moral person that is the grounding for all moral obligations that we, we, we know these exist. And to deny they exist, if we say, hey, so I can see a, a reality in which it would be okay to torture babies for nothing more than the fun of it, well, then you're a sick person, yeah. okay? That's not a matter of trying to have a, a, a conversation that's rational, because that's just not rational. Mm. Jim, when we think of even the trial of Jesus, and we look at the truth and the lies, I mean, I know Jewish laws were constructed in a way and designed to try to protect a defendant from some kind of wrongful conviction, yet the Jewish leaders broke every one of their own rules just to try to get Jesus, uh, uh, you know, to find any kind of testimony that would incriminate Jesus. But for us to be able to say, well, they broke their rules, we'd have to know that there's something objectively true about the rules that could be broken. That's exactly right, yeah. So even that assumes that there's an objective reality about the rules. This is the hard truth of anything that we, we, we run up against, and, and even people who would reject the, the, the existence of objective truth believe that some things are objectively wrong, and we just have to help them find those things so they, we can show them that, no, you actually, you're, you're living in the same world that we're living in, but, and you cannot define these things away. Uh, there is something that you also get it, and it's just in that category. What we typically do is want there to be slippery, subjective uh, rules when it's in a category we don't like. And then we will embrace the hard, fast, objective uh, realities when it's in a thing we do like. And everyone does that. Not just us. Everyone does that. This is the selfish nature of who we are as humans. But if we can help them see where they do it, it'll help us to make the case when, when we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of interesting comments coming in. Um... It's such a fascinating topic. I, I can't read through these comments fast enough, but the the whole idea, Jim, that we live in a pluralistic world where everybody is going to have their own truth claims, and how do we better navigate when we come up against somebody that, that gives that as their argument? Well, well you I believe we, what you believe, and I believe yeah. what I believe, so let's just call it a truce. Well, here's the first thing about it. If 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 the Vikings are about to play this weekend, yes, they are and, the Giants, and they're going to play a team. I think they're going to win. They're going to play the Giants, and you all think they're going to win. Yes, I there do. Are people out there right now who are listening to us, who could make a five point case for why they're going to win. Well, they can stop listening then. Yeah, 
<laughs> but, but they can't make a five-point case for the nature of truth uh, mm-hmm. because they've invested time in stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm a big football fan, so I, I know you're following politics as much as anybody else. But my point is, uh, why is it we can make cases and we're prepared to ask those probing questions? But then when it gets to these kinds of things, we're tongue-tied. We haven't thought about it. We haven't. This doesn't matter to us. The stuff that we're going to watch on Sunday, those that's the God that we worship. Right? Whatever we're thinking about all week long, that's the God. Whatever we're going to spend our money on, whatever we're going to spend our time on, that's our God. And so I think that for most of us, when you and I are having these conversations, we're just really kind of like calling the world to kind of come back to what really matters. Like, uh, I hope our audience is, is really, yeah, this is, wouldn't you like to know how to navigate these kinds of conversations? Because yes. these are the most important kinds of conversations. Yes. Yet you're right now better equipped to navigate the conversation about the Vikings. Yeah, so true. And that's just the nature of what, you know, we get caught up in the stuff that's just temporary, and we lose sight of the stuff that's transcendent. And I think that's why we, the truth is one of those things, though, that is transcendent, and we, we have to – and isn't it interesting that a lot of people will call on this topic because it is so foundational. It's not one of those niche weird things that's off in the corner. It's like this is the stuff that everything else is built on. So we have to get this right. If we don't get this right, everything else ends up sideways. Yeah. And Jim, it's so important to not only embrace truth and understand objective truth because life has its consequences if you are not right. If you're, if you're wrong – Life will show you some pretty difficult consequences. Yeah, I, and my my buddy, you know, John Stone Street at Colson Center, where I serve as a fellow, he always says, you know, uh, you know, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. Yeah, and it's very, very true. And so we true. have to make sure we hold on to good ideas. Yeah, fast hour, lots of fun. Always good uh, to talk to you, Jim. Thank you so much for taking time today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Jay Warner Wallace has been my guest. And I encourage you to head over to coldcasechristianity.com. Again, coldcasechristianity.com. You can learn more about Jim and all of his books. And coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our One Child Initiative, which is going to be great, by the way. And if you want to champion a child, uh, I did last year, and it was great. It is great. You can go right now and see some of the children that are available um, to that would love to have you sponsor them, okay? Go to MyFaithRadio.com, check it out. We're going to take a break, and we come back, Dr. Craig Evans is going to be my guest for the the Words of Jesus. That's our Red Word series. We're going to be in the Book of John today with Dr. Craig Evans. You're not going to want to miss this. He is a very, very interesting man, and we're going to dig deep into God's Word. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.